Thanks, Ali, for that introduction. I wondered who you were speaking about there, Ali. But uh, it's very, it's a privilege for us to be with you tonight and to, to be up here. See my knees shaking. It's no fun if you've ever stood here, you know what it feels like. Um, but it's just a great opportunity. And I want to start by thanking you very much for all your prayers for us, for your various practical expressions of support for us as we anticipated our visit to Nigeria. And uh, hopefully after tonight you'll have an idea, kind of a feel for what we experienced there. Um, so that's going to be coming along in a few minutes. But before then, I'd like to uh, look at some scripture. But before I do that, let me explain a couple of things and um, pray for someone. I work here as a pastoral assistant, in case you don't know, for three days a week. Um, and for the other two days a week, I work with Mission Africa. So there are some magazines called Discover Mission Africa and Dispatch Magazine. And in here you'll find a little article about some short-term workers, one of whom whose pictures you'll see on the screen tonight, uh, Alida. If you want to find out more about Mission Africa, please take a copy of, uh, of the material. Now with my pastor's hat on, um, sadly this afternoon, Jimmy Arneal uh, passed away. So I'd like just to pause for a moment and pray for the family. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the life of Jimmy Arneal, and we remember his late wife Margaret and all that she and they together accomplished in the fellowship. We pray for the family, for Elizabeth and Willie Moyes, for Lisa and for Sarah, for Helen and Norman, for Alan and Sandra and Leanne and James. Father, come to them, we pray. Presence yourself with them. May they know your peace and may they know your comfort in these days. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, perhaps you'd like to open them to 1 Kings and chapter 18. And I want to look tonight at a few verses in relation to the prophet Elijah. And I want really to see this as a kind of, what I want to say tonight, what we want to share with you tonight is kind of, this is a kind of backdrop to all of that. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Again, just pause for a moment. The picture is, he's on Mount Carmel. He's with the 400 prophets of Baal. There's a confrontation between who is rightly God. Baal or Elijah's God. And uh, the prophets of Baal have had almost all day trying to ask their God to bring fire down to consume the offering that they've prepared. And uh, they've come to nothing. And now it's time for Elijah to come forward on behalf of God. So he stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, the king, Go, eat and drink. For there is the sound of a heavy rain. 
Remember, there had been a, a famine for three years. No rain had fallen for three years. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now Ahab had told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Elijah was a prophet whom God had used greatly to do his will. And when the going got tough for Elijah, he found strength to keep going. And only just moments before, he'd been faced with these 400 prophets of Baal. And he'd stood firm on the word of his God. And he challenged their God. And he proved his God to be the true God. He was tough until, it seems, he was confronted by a vengeful, powerful woman. By the name of Jezebel. And so when Jezebel made these threats against Elijah, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of those prophets whom you've just killed, Elijah ran as fast as he could from Jezebel, afraid of what she threatened to do to him. You see, because he'd been standing his ground spiritually, he challenged Ahab and he'd killed all the prophets of Baal. And you know, as we think about the ministry of God in our world today, and as we think about mission, whether it be local or global, there's a spiritual challenge that's at the heart of it. The challenge came tonight. What will you give up to go? It's the call of God. It's the commission. It's the command of God to each one of us, his people, to serve him, whether that be local or whether that be global. And as we serve him, we're basically talking of the power of God in a sin-sick world where the devil himself is active and seems to be in control of everything. And of course, as we speak for God, the devil is not happy. And he came into this situation in Elijah's life. And right when Elijah, if you like, was at the peak of his conflict with Satan, he struggled. And as we consider our own lives and where we stand with Jesus and how we serve him, and what it is he calls us to do in our daily life. 
within the context of our own sphere of activities, individually, our families, our church, our nation. There's the spiritual challenge that lies at the heart of it. And here was Elijah. He ran for his life. But the lovely thing, if you read on those verses after verse 5, you discover that here he was sleeping and the, the angel of God came along and woke him up. And the lovely thing was God knew exactly what Elijah needed. He needed sleep and he needed food. Very practical. Down to earth. And so the angel said, sleep and eat. And when you're ready, you can move on. I wonder perhaps whether something in your life that you've been standing for Jesus on. There's maybe been a situation in your home. There's maybe been a situation in a relationship, maybe at your work. And there's been a situation where you as a Christian have come up against the world and its godlessness. And you've, you've been seen to be a Christian and someone's taken note of that and spoken about it. Perhaps not to you, perhaps to somebody else. And who knows, there's maybe been a challenge to your faith. There's maybe been a challenge to your standing for God. And there's maybe been a challenge to your walk with him. And I want to look very briefly at three things God says or deals with Elijah. You see, once he had been fed and once he'd slept, God asked him the question, What are you doing here? Verse 9. And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. And I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. And God wanted to reveal himself to Elijah. And the story goes in those verses, then a great powerful wind came along and tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. And I don't know about you, but when I think about wind, I don't think of something that breaks stone or shatters rocks. But this was an incredibly powerful wind. And God used that to bring Elijah to his attention. But God wasn't in that wind. And the next thing we're told is that there was a massive earthquake. And we've seen some of the devastation earthquakes wreak throughout our world. And we don't know what happened to the rocks around Elijah, but he knew that this was a massive earthquake. And God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire. And often we think of a fire as a consuming fire and a frightening, a terrifying fire. Was God in the fire? No, God wasn't in the fire. And then we hear that there was a gentle whisper. Verse 13, when Elijah heard that whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. First thing, God's question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And I think we need to ask that question of ourselves. What am I doing here? What is it that God's given me to do? He's given us all gifts and skills. We're all different. He's placed us in the place where we're living, within the family, within our friends, within our work. What are you doing here, Elijah? What about putting your name in place of Elijah? And maybe let God speak to you. What are you doing here? 
Is it in line with his purpose for our life? Is there something he wants us to learn from our experience? And Elijah spouted out exactly the same thing he'd spouted out just a few minutes ago. Next thing, God's presence. And we spoke about that just a few minutes ago. After all the great, amazing, powerful, dynamic expressions of a powerful God, there was that gentle whisper. And the danger is we look for God's presence in the amazing and the wonderful and the dynamic and we fail to hear that gentle whisper, that still small voice. And perhaps God wants to speak afresh through the quietness of his own word as he comes to you and me, God's presence in the still small voice. Don't look for it in the spectacular, but listen for it in the quietness as he speaks through his word. And then finally in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. God's recommission. God's question, what are you doing? God's presence, his still small voice, and God's recommission. You have to go back the way you came. And you know, sometimes we need to do that as well. And sometimes that can be the most difficult thing to do, isn't it? To go back and deal with an issue that we've sidestepped or that we've managed to avoid. Go back, Elijah. There's something you need to deal with. Go back the way you came. And there you'll find I've got plans for you. You've to deal, you've to anoint Hazael, king over Aram. And then various other instructions were given to him from verses 16 and onward. And you know, we need, we need God's recommissioning power as we set about his business here in this place. Whether it's at home or whether it's overseas. And I believe God wants to meet with us afresh to bring that challenge of service anew and to ask that question, what are you doing here? And to know his recommissioning power. And I believe he wants to renew you, me as well, to refresh us, to regenerate us and to recommission us for his service in all that he's planned for this year in 2017. And as we move into a presentation that Margaret and I are going to bring now, I'd like you to think of our missionaries who are serving faithfully, some over many years. They've heard the call and they've gone and they've stayed. Others have more recently gone. Some have found situations have changed. But they're going in obedience. And one of the questions I was asking myself as I go with Mission Africa around the CU groups throughout Scotland, talking about mission and talking about the opportunities in Nigeria, and I found no one's coming forward to Nigeria. There are four camps in the summer, one to Nigeria, two to Kenya, one to Burkina Faso, and for the last two years, a Nigerian camp, no students want to go. And I'm asking the question, how much is the Boko Haram effect touching the students? And if you're a parent and your daughter or your son said to you, I'd like to go and serve with Mission Africa in the summer, that'd be great, where do you want to go in Nigeria? Uh-uh. It's dangerous. Someone was praying about our first visit to Nigeria. They were praying against our visas. That we wouldn't get a visa because they were fearful of our safety. And you know, how can we not go if we send young families with children? The safest place to be is where you're in God's will, wherever that may be.
So I want to leave that with you as a kind of background to what Margaret and I would like to share. And at this point, I'd like to invite Margaret to come up and stand beside me. Okay, well, I know that you were singing really well tonight, and I enjoyed your singing, but while you were having your last Sunday, our last Sunday in Nigeria was slightly different from the Sunday that you normally have here. an FCS event, a fellowship of Christian students, and they were gathering together their first meeting in the new year, and they were thanking God for his presence with them throughout the year. And as you can see, they're fairly calm and quiet. Lead <laughs> back. I was hoping that um, our sister here might come up and join them. Maybe not time. Okay, so um, we flew from London over to Abuja, six and a half hour flight. And uh, we landed in Abuja, and the various places we went were as far south as Holly Hospital in the south, and Joss uh, in the north. And just to give you a flick through of what some of the places were that we stayed, we stayed in the guest house, the Baptist guest house in Abuja. As you can see, it's very nice. Uh, nice green grass. No, it's not. It's bushes. Very dry. In actual fact, it was December, so the rains hadn't been since earlier in the year. But uh, pleasant surroundings, and we had our own kitchen area there. And if you look a bit more closely... Uh, you'll see that there's the water where you fill your, your, your drinking bottles. You don't go to the normal taps, there's a filtered water for you. And uh, before we left, that was our last breakfast in actual fact. Well, it was going to be bananas, bread, and uh, some Quaker uh, oats there. We had, had some porridge, um, and we had some toast as well. But we left the banana in the space, which is for everyone. So the next morning we came out, they were gone. <laughs> so we didn't have banana. But um, nice place, if you're going to stay, uh, you'll enjoy a stay there. And the next day we headed off, that was the, the car we were travelling in, the mission has two three cars, and that was the, uh, the Galaxy, and that was most of our cases. And we headed off south from Abuja towards, um, towards Holly Hospital. And you can see the roads are quite nice just in Abuja, some amazing buildings that we passed by. And as you can see, also there's some other international uh, people involved. You can see the Red Cross there. I don't know if you can see it. Just in front of that Red Cross car, there's a lady standing at the side of the road. Just about to cross. It happens all the time. You've got to be very careful. And as we came along, of course, you need some fuel. So you pull in at one of the petrol stations. And there's, le- there's several stands, as there usually are in petrol stations. But you queue. We were there for 25 minutes queuing here. And discovered that there's only one petrol pump in actual fact that's got petrol because they had a very low supply. And the man in the, in the red t shirt, he dispenses the petrol, he takes the money, he's in charge, even if the motorbikes cut up the outside. So we're driving along, and every so often you do come across instances where it reminds you that there is a security issue, or there may be security issues. And so every so often we saw these armed police vehicles there. Not all the roads are as clear and as smooth as the one outside of Abuja. The further south you travel, the further away from the country, from the capital you travel, then you can see some major potholes. If you look just beyond the vehicle to the right, there's a tree and there's a wee group of people standing there and they're just standing around a police car. 
Sometimes there's police, other times there's no police. Sometimes they stop you, other times they don't. Hopefully they don't. We finally arrive down to Holly Memorial Hospital. We turn off the main road, and this is the road that the next half mile takes us through some pretty um, rough areas into Holly Hospital. And we were going to spend the afternoon, the day we arrived, with the Children's Club. We were taken over to the church, and uh, the children slowly came in. And as they came in, they looked as if, who are these strange white people? And they came in quietly, and there were about 80 uh, children who gathered for the weekly club and you could have heard a pin drop and then they started and they said oh you're not usually so quiet or so well behaved is it because we've got visitors today so they were encouraged to come and greet us and the noise level uh, increased somewhat but it was great a lot of these children were to the local school or they're the children of the people who work in the hospital and this is something um, the short termers who are out there just now the gappers have started and they've been really encouraged to see the children coming along and they learn their memory verses and uh, they had quite a few verses to learn and they put us a wee bit to shame. Once they had sung and heard the story, we went outside for some games. And as you can see, the boys are quite enthusiastic and the teams had been chosen. They ran around and then they came back in for their story. Um, Alida um, uh, is over from Ireland and she's had the vision to see the children's club and Joseph, he was working here and he's now studying medicine and Victor, sorry, and he's uh, back uh, involved in the children's club so they were very enthusiastic to see them and the children as they picked up courage came up and um, greeted us and were quite keen to touch our white skin and see if it felt the same as theirs just a wee kind of interlude here. Victor, we've met him several times before. Every time I've been, he's, we've met him in different locations, but now he's studying medicine. But he gave me his story one day. And he was a Muslim who was converted and had found life extremely difficult. His, his family uh, rejected him, and they were actually out to kill him. And earlier today, I was given some letters by Willie Rundle that were written uh, to, to folks in this country 20 years ago. Let me just read a few lines. Uh, Dear sir, I'm a Muslim who has been converted to Christianity. My parents have sacked me from the house because of Christ. I'm facing a strong Quranic challenge from my fellow Muslims. In fact, I'm, an, I'm unable to answer most of the questions they are asking just because I don't have a Bible. And it goes on and on. And, and you know, some of these problems are still problems today. And there are still huge tensions uh, when someone wants to change from being a Muslim to convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. After the children's club, we had the opportunity to go on uh, a tour of the hospital, and this is when I got my first mosquito bites. Down through the outpatient department, you can see some folks waiting to see the doctor. And this is the administrator, a very important person. You can see the medical records behind. And if you don't sign in with her and get a ticket, you don't get seen the doctor. Then down through the, the corridors, they're refurbishing the building, and you can see... Um, that it's taking shape. We first of all went into the male medical ward. They're very happy to see us coming in and you can see they're refurbishing and the, the name of the hospital and the ward and the fact that it's a male surgical ward um, are written on the um, I think items there. We then went into the female medical ward and we, again we were greeted with excitement and one of the ladies 
in Nigeria, when you go into hospital, generally speaking, your family go and look after you. They cook your food and change your bed and make sure that you're washed and everything. So one of the ladies said, have you brought some medicine? And we said, no, we don't have any medicine. Well, what can you give us? Can you give us money to buy medicine? No, we don't have any money. So Robbie said, I can pray for you. So would you like that? So uh, Robbie prayed for them and they were very pleased. We discovered later that they're Muslim um, people, but as we left, you can see they were um, saying farewell and quite enthusiastic about having met us. So we just trust that the Lord answered the prayers for healing. Then we went into the accident and emergency, and this gentleman who's lying there um, is having his head stitched. He and his wife had been involved in a road traffic accident. And when we went to the edge of the ward, uh, we sort of hung back, and the doctor said, no, come in, come in. So I went in, and Robbie stood outside. He didn't like the sight of that. <laughs> and then we moved down in the rest of the hospital. They're, as I say, they're refurbishing, and I was being nosy looking in to see the new pharmacy, which isn't quite open yet, but they're quite pleased to be able to tell us of the progress. And these are some of the nurses, and they were quite happy to come and meet us and be photographed with us. And this lady, nurse, just going off duty, but she was keen to have a photograph with us. And they asked when we come back here that we would tell them about you and that you would pray for them, that the Lord would provide what they need to care for the patients. The next morning we went down to a place called Ogugu, which we'd been about an hour and a half's drive away. Um, but when the hospital uh, manager knew we were going, he said to, to Victor, don't let them go without speaking to me first, because I've organised a policeman to go with them. So before we left that morning, they gave us a policeman, and he came and he sat in the front of his car along with his Kalashnikov rifle. And uh, he was our security. And it was a good thing, because that day was the only day we actually met the nail men, the nail boys. Those are the ones who... Uh, put the nails in the bits of wood and put them out in front of you and don't let you go until you pay them some money. But the policemen are higher than the nail boys. So it was very handy to have a policeman with a gun in the car with us. We went on to the Donegore Centre, which is sponsored by folks in Donegore. A is for Advance, and that's a ministry that's been going from Abuja. And this is like a kind of satellite part of that ministry. And we met there with, uh, by uh, Elder Ruben, who's been serving there for many years. And I'm now going to let him tell you a bit about what the Donegore Centre is all about. We have a, two sections in Donegore Centre every Saturday. Junior class started by 10 o'clock and they closed by 12. And the senior class come by 12 and they close by 2 o'clock. And again, we have a computer in the Donegore Centre by advance. We have a tailoring which they have to spend about 6 months training in computer and they get their certificate. From there, they go to the community and they Making money, making money to use that one to feed themselves in their family. Okay, so they're learning how to do tailoring and how to use the computer so they can actually make some money to feed themselves. And that was quite an encouraging thing because um, over the past few years, this whole centre um, has been established and built through the sponsorship and the funds raised uh, here in the West. And we were taken in to visit the uh, the tailoring section. There were some of the the, the patterns that they use. And at that particular day, there were these two ladies in who were, were there, so we were having a wee conversation with them. And then next door, we went into the IT department, and we were having a chat with the, with the guy there. You can see there the flat screen uh, computers and the keyboards. The screens are covered. It would have been better actually to cover the keyboards because the dust was going to get in, and the data projector was there for him to use. 
And so that's the Alida's to the right of that picture. She's the gapper. And then uh, Elder Ruben, and then the guy who's doing the IT. The guy in the middle, he's the evangelist. And he has opportunity to speak to the folks in the classes, and he takes that opportunity. And the lady beside Margaret, she's working with uh, the ladies who are doing the sewing. And then we were taken down to the far end of the, the, the compound to meet a family whom Ruben knew very well because there was his, his niece who just had twins. So we were introduced to her, and Ruben took my hand. And I wasn't quite sure about that. <laughs> and off we toddle with hand in hand. <laughs> Sorry, Rita. I... But it's fine. We, uh, we were quite friendly after the event was over. So that was Ruben. He's a lovely man. David, look out next week. <laughs> okay. We then travelled from there up towards Abuja for the retreat. And we'd actually planned to visit Bassa. Maybe some of you had seen in the, in the thing that we'd planned to visit Bassa, but there, were, there was violence had been in Bassa. It was an unrest, an unrest in the air. So they said, don't come. And these two gentlemen are the ones who wanted to meet in Bassa. The guy to the right is Jacob, Reverend Jacob Moses. We met him last year. We had a great interview with him. He was telling us about how the church is being rebuilt, having been all destroyed by the, the, the troubles 10 years previously. And then the guy on the left, David Onucci, it turns out David was coming to a retreat, so we had a great time visiting him. But these two men sent us a wee text saying, we can meet you at the road end by the mosque on your way north to Abuja. So we said, great, we'll see you there. And there's the mosque pulling, there they were. And we had just 10 minutes chatting with them, picking up with them. So that was really good and very, very encouraging. We got to Abuja. We were taken to the place where the Baptist convention has got a new building. We were taken to a small room, and then we were quickly, hurriedly taken to the suite. We moved into the top executive suite. So we're very happy. Um, it suited us just fine. And uh, there were about 15 all together and the 16 of us all together. And this is the, the whole class, the whole group you can see there. Uh, the eldest one um, would be Iris. Hang on. I oh, forget it. Fourth left. Okay, she's sitting at the back, standing at the back. And the youngest one will be the wee girl in the arms there, um, Hepzibah. That's the wee one. Eight weeks old. So that was the spread. And uh, that was the time that the Lord had us together in conference. So that was very, very encouraging and very good. And then this was David Anucci. He, he shared with us and he told us uh, some amazing things about how God's uh, doing some new things and, and rebuilding the churches there and how things are progressing. But it has been difficult. And he told us that morning, the very first thing he told us was that um, he'd met a couple of men, big men, coming out of the bush and dumping this thing on the ground. He thought it was a piece of log. It turned out it was a, human, it was a body. And uh, it turned out that, the, that this person was actually an armed robber whom the vigilantes had killed. So he was so thankful and grateful. And that was that morning. So maybe it was good that we didn't go to Bassa after all. Um, but David's an amazing man. He just loves Jesus. You can see it in his face. And uh, it was great to spend time with him. And then we had uh, our oldest lady, who was Iris. Iris, who's married to a, a Nigerian gentleman, Rufus Ogbonna. She went out there over 37 years ago. They'd been married 27 years. He was a um, widower. And she was there at conference. And they'd asked her to speak to children. So here's just a wee clip. Sometimes children... They don't always pay attention. When they hear something that goes in one ear, 
It's a good idea. Does that happen sometimes to you? Something you're told it goes in one year and then it goes out the other. Sometimes we say it's because there's nothing in between. But I don't think that's true about you because you're all clever children and you've got something in between. But it's important that we use both ears to listen and to do what we are told to do. So she stays in the very far south of the country and she hardly ever gets the opportunity to come north. So it's really good to see Iris and spend some time with her. And then we come to the youngest. And uh, we were out for a meal together and uh, here's um, uh, Jaffet having a wee chat with that wee girl. That's not his daughter. The wee boy in the middle between them, you'll see him some more pictures later on. That's his son there. So we went out uh, to this place for a, a meal, the clubhouse. And here's Margaret having a wee chat with uh, Beth. Who's, uh, whose dad is Scottish and whose mother's from Northern Ireland. But a nice meal together, fish and chips if you wanted it, or African food if you wanted it. You may remember that we asked you to pray for our drivers, and here they are, Monday on the left, Ben in the middle, and Zongo on the right. And uh, great to have them driving, because you've, we've no idea where to go, and we don't know where the potholes are, uh, and they do. So uh, that's the best thing. And of course, it's great for stop, by anybody, then they know how to handle us. And then, of course, before we left, um, we were saying goodbye to um, Gail, Gail and Godwin, uh, serving in Pact in, in the southern, just south of, of Abuja. She's from Northern Ireland. He's from Nigeria, and they're adopting this wee girl. What's her name? Gloria, because her mum has AIDS, and they're looking after her. They're in the fifties, and that's part of what life in Africa is all about. You take people in. They become yours. And so that's what Gail and, and Godfrey uh, are doing right now. And there's Godfrey standing waving goodbye as we head off. We're going up north to Jos, and they're going back down to Angpa and then further south uh, to the southern part of the country. Back on the roads again, and you can see here this gentleman's uh, indicating to turn right because he decides he wants to go back to his own side of the road rather than drive along the wrong side of the road. And, uh, and that's just how you do it. You choose your space and off you go. And uh, some of the vehicles, they're very large and they carry big loads. These ones are animals and this is just, um, I'm not quite sure what's in there. But I know what's on here. Oh, can you see the motorbike? I think there's a bit more on that than he was thinking. Um, but he's just managing to hang on. But when we got into Joss, Margaret went off uh, to the market in search of some cloth. Well, Ruth was looking for some cloth for our daughter to make some clothes. So she suggested I might like to buy some cloth as well. And it's very difficult to appropriate clothing here for going out to Nigeria. For women, they wear long skirts. So I thought, well, I'll have a look and see what there is and was persuaded to buy some cloth and get a couple of skirts made for any future visits. And see, it's, we're making our way... Um, you can't you click back. Sorry. Right, when you click it, let it run. Right, we're in the market. You ready for this? Go. Yeah, we wouldn't see that at home, would we? Because of the 
children being white, they're obviously noticed and there's a risk of them being kidnapped. So it was important that each of us held on to the hand of the children as we walked through the market. As you can see, it's busy with people and it was important to try and keep them safe. Just one wee input there. While we were in the shop with the cloth, I noticed well, all the way since we got out of the car, this guy had followed us. And he was standing outside the shop waiting for us. And I said to Ruth, Ruth, this, this guy's followed us since we got out of our car. And he's standing outside waiting for us. She said, well, that could be so that he's hoping to carry something back for you, get a bit of money, or he just would like something to eat. So he went back with us all the way to the car. We didn't give him the end of the carry, but by the time we go back to the car, he was looking for just a wee bit. So a few naira would be something that would give him a, a meal that night. And that's just, you know, the economic situation in Nigeria is so bad. It's horrendous, and people don't eat. And that's just what happened the day we were out with The next thing, we took the material to have it made and I'm trying to explain to the lady what style of um, skirt uh, would be suitable for me to wear. You've seen the styles that other people wear, but I didn't think they were quite me. And there's um, Beth getting measured. She wanted an African outfit. And then Robbie insisted in putting this one in and got a skirt made and had to go back and try it on. Unfortunately, it was a wee bit tight, so I did be taken out and I got it made. <laughs> These are the ladies um, who are making it, but they're very, they're very clever at looking at a pattern and being able to make something. And they also have a showroom where you can buy various things. That's a wall hanging, and they've got aprons and different things. And Robbie was interested in this one, just the zip and the, that it was attached to it. And then we were looking for things. Um, the missionaries try to give skills to the people so that they can then earn a living for themselves. And this is one of the places where they're selling things and we bought some different things to bring back to give to people. Um, oven gloves uh, and coasters and Christmas tree decorations and things like that. Now move on to Acts where Pamela was there um, and she's the Irish lady who organised all of our programme. You can see she's a very bright personality. Just explain what Acts is. Acts stands for African Christian Textbooks. And it's a ministry of publishing and printing. And the idea is to get African Christians to, to write th their own textbooks as well. So they bring in textbooks from the West, because uh, English is a well, you know, spoken widely throughout um, uh, Nigeria. And also they, they provide a, a space for Africans to write as well. So this is in the Acts, the main hub, which is just outside Jos. It's a bookshop, and then they have um, the warehouse... And they were just saying the economic situation has hit them quite hard as well. They try to supply books um, for the different pastors, either who are in training or in situ, but people don't have money to buy the books, so they're just trying to get a balance in terms of how many they buy in. They've got the vision to have writers' um, corners, and they're building house, uh, places so that the local Nigerians can come and get away from all the noise and concentrate. And that's just a wee glimpse through the window. And then, of course, you need to eat. So yes. rice and beans provided for us. You can see Robbie's enjoying that. And then across to... Um, then we travel to, to visit the theological college where uh, Donald is working. He's, he's a librarian, and he was in, in Pact. He's now moved into Joss, and he's working at this place. It's called JETS, which stands for Joss Equa Theological Seminary. And that's the grand entrance place. The concrete blocks outside are designed to make you weave and drive, therefore drive slowly. And they don't let you in unless they know who you are. 
Inside the main auditorium, you can see a beautiful uh, new plastic roof there with the ceiling fans, lots of benches, uh, electronic uh, drums and guitars at the front, and uh, they like the volume up full. There's only two switches in African amplifiers at that right, Rita. It's either full on or off, okay? And it's usually full on, so you go there with um, your, your earmuffs in. But here's the research library where Donald works, and as you go in, that's the reception desk, and then you go up to the various uh, places where you want to take your books. And Donald has been there just for a short time. But these are the books that these students are working with. They've got the, the computer suite there, but the problem again is power. You know, the power company is called NEPA. N-E-P-A. Never expect power always. <laughs> that just about says it. Um, and, and certainly in the major cities, you get more power more often. But it's a real frustration when you're in the middle of something. Lights go out. So remember them, just along the corridor, there was a computer that was working. And uh, that's why, because it had this bank of batteries. And they're running these batteries for a small number of computers because they're trying to electronic um, categorize all the books in the library. So that's what that computer that you just saw uh, is all about. Okay, we're now going to make our way towards uh, the village called Guerrero, which is one of the areas where the children are brought up, some of the... the uh, Orphans, and you can see there we bounced along that road for about an hour, half a half an hour to an hour, to a lovely school here for, uh, for primary school. This lady, Kathy, she was showing us around, and then we had some materials that we were able to pass on, some books and some magazine, uh, pens and pencils and rubbers and stuff, to the, the guy who's the principal of the school. Then we went into the class. <laughs> That's it. We had a nice time with them, and that video goes on and on. Robbie was saying it's a nice school there, but basically all these children are orphans, and they provided accommodation for them. The local schools are not good. There's not a very good standard of education, and so the work has developed into the primary school as well. And later on you'll see them, and they're all wearing the same. Now, that's quite often the case, school uniform, but their shoes and socks, everything the same, because... They depend on donations and every so often there may be a shipment from America with shoes in various sizes but they're very pleased to be able to be dressed and they're proud of their uniforms. This is um, the library, it's a new room that's just been built recently and they're trying to build up the library and I was asking Cathy, um, is there anything that we could do to help and she said particularly children's books, Christian or non-Christian we would love to have them. If you could see the picture more closely, you would see a lot of these books have been around for many years and um, they're a bit battered and torn, but they would be pleased to have them. Ladybird books, or um, even we saw some Mr. Men series. But these children are just 
so delighted if they get all their work done and they behave, they're able to have a few minutes in the library each day and they just get so excited about that. They've been told to gather outside because they were told to welcome us. They thoroughly enjoy singing. And I took your greetings to them. hope that was all right. But uh, it was great just to have the opportunity to see them, to see them enjoying the facilities that have been, been set out for them and put up for them. And I really loved what it says on the back of their shirt. Together we are his house and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. And that's a lovely thing for them to focus on as they go through their schooling. And it's a lovely thing for us to consider. Okay, we're nearly at the end. The morning we were um, heading back to Abuja from Joss, we went via Grace Gardens, and I wasn't sure what that was, but in the, the way we met um, Messi, and she gave us a bit of the background. Her husband works with Voices and Martyrs, and they're American, and they'd gone to Abuja, and she didn't know what her ministry would be. Her vision was to speak, uh, to relate to children, but the first person that the Lord brought her into contact with was somebody going to prison ministry. I'm not going into all the details but it's transpired that she works with prostitutes and they've been able to rent um, accommodation for them to stay. And she goes in, uh, she meets her clients through going to Brussels and she said a lot of these people are sold by their parents. Parents don't have any money and they're sold into this and their lives are very difficult. And so she goes along and builds up relationship and brings them along. And they've seen some people coming to know the Lord as a result of that. But she said, you know, it's heartbreaking sometimes because of the lives that they've lived. They've never known anything else and it's very difficult for them to break the lifestyle. And again, they're endeavouring to give them skills so that they can then um, have an, an alternative way of making a living. And um, they would just value prayers for that as they relate. She said, many of the ladies don't stay, they leave, but some of them come with children and she said, in that way, God is allowing me to work with children. Some of the stories would break your heart, but it's great to see that some come through to know the Lord and go on and have new life in Christ. She took us around the place where they live, and this is one of the entranceways to one of the ladies' homes. You can see all the shoes there lined up. You take your shoes off before you come in. And one of these ladies here, she just been, she was just been told she's pregnant with twins, so that's something she's thinking about and all the implications them. We've taken into some of their rooms, you can see how clean and tidy they are and uh, that's just an indication of who they are. And of course it's a place for the children to play as well. Let's not forget the most important room in the house, also very clean and tidy. It was just after Christmas so the tree was still up and the decorations were up. And this is one of the ladies who takes responsibility to look after the home and relate to some of these other women. The children are educated and that's these two youngsters uh, having a, a class right there. And here's Missy with this sweet girl. She was very, very cagey. She wouldn't barely look at me and she wouldn't let me come near her. And, but anyway, that's, uh, it's a beautiful flower in a very sad part of the city of Abuja. This is our last thing. And I suppose it's really on our heart most of all. And this was a visit that we went with a couple 
she's Lindsay from Northern Ireland and Jaffet from Nigeria. They have a wee boy called Micah, and you'll see him in the pictures. And uh, they live just along the road from this place, and uh, the road, the concrete, the, the tarmac finishes, and then there's a dirt road, and you'll see it later. And along the dirt road, we come to this place. It's called Ruga, and it's basically a shanty town. And we've come to visit Mary and her daughter, and later on, another lady called Martha. But this lady here, she was cooking, and this is inside her home. And you can see just the cardboard walls that she has. But she made us very welcome, and uh, especially we make her. But then she was taking us to visit her friend, and we followed her along the main paths as we weaved between the buildings. She took us first of all to this place because she heard that there was a lady who was unwell. And just around the corner, just to, to the left of where Lindsay's standing, there was a lady lying on a mat. And she had no uh, money to buy medication. So she couldn't medicate herself, and goodness knows what was going to happen to her. So I said, well, look, can we pray for her? And that's all we could do. And we stood for a few minutes uh, while we prayed for her. And then we continued uh, our journey. And as we were weaving our way through, we eventually came out to the other end, and we saw this gentleman here building his own house. And you can see it there. It's about half the size of the platform. And from bits of wood he can find, from bits of tin, and then he'll find maybe cardboard or plastic to cover it. But you know the kids, they all come out. And this one, she just posed. The, the colouring, the lipstick, it's a, a Muslim colouring that they put on, and that's just part of their feature. But we went to visit Martha, and here uh, is, Lil, is Lindsay greeting Martha. And as we were sitting, standing talking to them, this wee guy came up alongside us and he sat on the ground. Now, if you look carefully, it's a blade he's holding. And it's a bread knife that the handles come off. And he's holding the blade end. That's his toy. That's just life. You go on and you go on with use whatever you can. But here we have Mary and Martha and then a lady beside Lindsay who she's got large problems with her neck there. Um, but they're all Christians and they all go to the same church where Lindsay goes. And Lindsay didn't realise they were staying so close to them. And then there's this gentleman, uh, Martha's husband, and I got chatting to him. When I went over to him, he was holding a Bible study material in his hand and he'd been talking about how his wife had given him this material and he'd been using it. And he talked about how he'd managed to have a, a, while, a while back, he'd actually rented a, a room and was able to hold a small evangelistic outreach and some folk had been converted. And I asked him, you know, how long has he been living here? And he, he made uh, maybe a year. I said, have you always lived here? He says, no, I lived someplace else in Abuja. I said, well, why do you live here now? He says, the government decided to bulldoze that part of the city. And they just flattened all the houses. And he said, we had no place to go and we couldn't afford to buy. And they came here. And that's his house. That's where he lives. And um, I don't know the details of his life, but I know he loves the Lord and he speaks for him. And while we were there, the decision was made by Jaffa and Linda, uh, Lindsay at another time to feed some of these people, to take a, a rice drop out. And so they were given, they, they managed to gather together about 400 pounds to buy rice and salt and beans and Maggie cubes and some also some sweets for the children. And this was them setting out 200 bags of rice and 100 bags for the children. And we loaded these all into the, the, the minibus that we'd been in. And there's Zongo lifting that big bag full of, of bags of rice. And then they loaded the, the boots of, of two other cars and then first of all, we wandered around. That was the building where Jaffa and Lindsay stay, one of these big, tall ones, about four stories. We wandered around to Fulani families who live just across the street. And literally, we walked across the street and we met this Fulani family living very rough. Just small children. Um, and we gave them some bags of rice. That's their little dwelling under the tree, just behind that big building beyond them. We moved along the street, 
round the corner and Jaffa brought another bag of rice out and here's some more Fulani villages. They build their own Fulani houses this time and we went in and we began to give out the bags of, of food and the women all came out, they were so pleased and they were just, there was a real hubbub around there. And it was good to see their faces lighting up because some of them hadn't eaten properly for a long, long time. And who knows, the connections that they're making, the bridges that they're building. And then after that, we got in our cars and we drove um, 20 minutes along this uh, dusty road at the end of the, the tarmac onto the dirt. And we finally came to the, the, the place where we'd been before, Ruger. And while we were there, I got out and I began to take a couple of pictures because these men were frying fish in these big, um, big pots. You can see the fried fish there, and they're going to go and sell it in the market. And then we started to get the rice out. And the idea was we weren't going to tell them beforehand in case they all came en masse. And we just sent someone in to speak to the chief, and he organized two men to come and kind of organize the, the rice uh, delivery. And we would have three cars with the boots open, and we'd line up the women, the children, and the men. And that was the plan. Of course, you're wandering around and you're chatting to these uh, folks, and I wander across. All of a sudden, I felt this sharp point coming through the heel of my shoe, and I'd stood in the nail. Because all the wood there, just the nails are really raw, really fresh, and no one thinks about safety. So, quick, take your shoe off, sort it all out, and get back on with the job. Here's Martin. He was a Christian lawyer in a very high position in, in, uh, in that country, and it was his burden to see uh, the, the Ruka village reached, and he was there to help us that day. And some of the women, just as they came out, began to gather around. And then we organized the, the queues, the lines of the people. And you can see them there kind of organizing the, the children. And, of course, there's Micah. He always seems to steal the show. And then um, Martha, who hadn't been there, suddenly appeared. And she put this big arms around me and gave me a big hug. And then she went over to Margaret and gave her a big hug. And Margaret gave her a big hug. And see how Margaret's hand is cupping the wee head on her back. Didn't know the baby was in her back, but that's just her and she was greeting her there, and she, seemed, she was so happy to see us and so glad uh, that we'd come to do this for them. And there's the wee baby. If you look behind the baby, do you see the CD there? There's a wee guy made a CD into his wee toy. He pushes it along with a stick. And so we began to get them folks organized, and then they began to, they began, the men began to get quite excited because some of the men saw the big bag of rice and they decided they want to have them for themselves because if they could steal the rice, they could then sell it in the market. And it began then to become uh, quite dangerous. And you can see a hand going up there to grab the boot of the car, to close it, to stop people from, from climbing in. But it was too late by that stage. And so the driver just got onto the, the driving seat and he drove off as fast as he could. And these men were clinging on behind, jumping into the back of the van. And it was actually quite a da potentially dangerous situation. But uh, fortunately, no one came to any harm. They lost the remainder of the rice. They were, I think that it came out, fell out of the van and it broke open. And the men uh, wasted it. But they were able to... We were able to talk to the women folks about it and say, you know, the, these men have disgraced you. We're trying to help you. And, and they, they felt quite embarrassed. And meanwhile, the rice drop was still going on. This fellow took over from Margaret to give her a rest, as it were, and also to kind of take control kind of in a third-party way. And he was one of the ones who was organized from the, the chief of that area. And so he took over and he was giving out uh, the rice. But meanwhile, uh, Jaffet was away in the van and, and Lindsay didn't know where he was. And she was quite alarmed and quite worried. But to think, you know, as these wee children were lining up, some of them hadn't eaten for three or for four days. And uh, this was maybe the first time they'd get something to eat, rice and beans with some taste to it. And after that drop, it, it was a real moving time for us. So we went back to our home and we gathered for a wee photo. And of course, we'd been out all day in the sun. We needed something to eat. So we went off to the local KFC. 
actually went to the chapel top floor. But you Can know, I just say though, I hope you noticed the ladies lined up and they stayed in the line when all the commotion was going on with the men and the children stood there. And even when the lids of the cars were closed, no food, more food was given out. The women stood patiently waiting while the men fought over it. <laughs> and I was trying to stop them. <laughs> Do you know, I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of done maybe too much tonight. We've given you a wee glimpse as to what life was like for us for those two weeks that we were there. And we got so much more that we could have shared. But for us, it was such a worthwhile visit to see some of what's going on, to get a feel for what some of our missionaries are coping with and what they're trying to achieve uh, while they're out there. So we really want to thank you for your support for us and for your prayers uh, for us. And I'm going to finish just with one wee video clip. I'm going to let Elder Ruben uh, give you his invitation. We need some missionary in Ugu to stay with us about one year, two years, six months. People that make Ugu people welcome the missionary that they can stay with them to work with the children, to work with advice, to work with the people in the community, like youth, like women fellowship, to give them a word of God. So we welcome all any missionary that want to stay with us in Ogu. And on behalf of Ochobo of Ogugu, I'm just thinking, and I know he's willing to. Thank you very much. So there's the invitation. They're looking for missionaries. They're looking for help. And we just want to thank you for the opportunity to be part of that. Thanks, Ali.